So the humor is very juvenile, but for the most part inoffensive. Seen it once, don't remember when. Think it's time to watch it again. Follow, subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop the last Friday. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Forgot That podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, it was announced recently that Ferrara Candy Company is discontinuing Fruit Stripe Bubblegum. I didn't realize it was still in production because its flavor discontinued after about 30 seconds. It was originally created by James Parker and produced by Beechnut Company in 1960. Yes, it goes back that far. It was known for the designs on the wrappers, which could be used as temporary tattoos, and the striped pattern on the sticks of gum. What made it unique was that there were two different packs with five flavors. You had Wet n Wild Melon, Cherry, Lemon, Orange, and Peach Smash, and Cherry, Grape, Mixed Fruit, Lemon, and Cotton Candy. That was my preferred pack. There were originally a family of anthropomorphic animals used in advertisements, but over the years, with downsizing and budget cuts, in the end, only Yipes the Zebra remained. So here's my salute to Fruit Stripe Bubblegum, another popular brand from the 80s, 86th. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars watch at your own risk, three stars standard fare, four stars worth checking out, and five stars must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. In this episode of the podcast, I'm rewatching and reviewing Tango and Cash from 1989. It was directed by Andrei Konchalovsky, who helmed action-adventure Runaway Train, drama Shy People, and crime comedy Homer and Eddie. He won a Primetime Emmy in 1997 for Outstanding Directing for a Miniseries or a Special for The Odyssey. On set, there was a dispute between him and producer John Peters about the tone of the climax of the film. He was eventually fired. Albert Magnoli was brought on near the end of principal photography for uncredited shots. The screenplay was written by Randy Feldman, who scribed action comedy Metro, or Metro, romantic comedy Nowhere to Run, and episodes of fantasy drama Early Edition. It stars Sylvester Stallone as Lieutenant Raymond Tango, best known from the Rocky and Rambo franchises, the biggest action star of the 1980s, no doubt. He was coming off some of his best roles in Rambo First Blood Part 2, Rocky 4, Cobra, and Over the Top. 
His career would falter in the early 90s with Rocky V, Oscar, and Stopper My Mom Will Shoot, but came back into form with Cliffhanger and Demolition Man. Lieutenant Gabriel Cash is portrayed by Kurt Russell. The child actor was cast in the television movie Elvis, which was directed by John Carpenter. They continued their collaboration with Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, and Escape from L.A. He would team up with his partner, Goldie Hawn, in Overboard in 1987. If these bios seem a little random, it's because I've done career retrospectives for both actors before and thought I would throw out a couple of facts. The movie also features Terry Hatcher, Jack Palance, James Hong, Robert Zadar, and Clint Howard. This is what I remember. When I first saw the movie on HBO, I instantly liked it. Hit my wheelhouse, bullseye. But admittedly, it has been many, many years since I've seen it. Not a lot of 80s movies hold up. They are a little of their time. But there are two scenes that I remember distinctly. There was an electrocution scene, which was actually pretty scary, at least for a 10-year-old watching it. And there was also a massage scene that was played for laughs, but it was still kind of sexy, especially for a 10-year-old watching it. Now I'm heading off to watch the movie. This is what I forgot. Lieutenant Raymond Tango is a dapper, straight-laced cop, Armani with a badge, and the best officer in the West Side Division. He wears a three-piece suit on duty and is known for weapons and drug busts. Lieutenant Gabriel Cash plays by his own set of rules. He wears cowboy boots and ragged clothes and doesn't take too kindly to authority. He's a glory hound and the most successful cop in the Central City Division. Both work for the Los Angeles Police Department and are in healthy competition with each other. Though they've never crossed paths, their names have appeared in headlines across newspapers and are known as a pair in crime circles for their aptitude at apprehending lawbreakers. One in particular, Yves Perret, is a crime lord who has a personal vendetta with Tango and Cash. They've cost him over $100 million in profits, and he's looking to get even. Tango and Cash are separately made aware of a bust going down at 4942 Front Street at 9pm. They both arrive at the scene and come across a dead body. The room is swarmed by FBI agents, and they're arrested and put on trial for slaying of a federal undercover agent during a drug sting operation. Despite their personality clashes, they have to work together to escape from prison and figure out who's responsible for framing them. Here's a quote without context. I think that with your IQ, you're unarmed and still very dangerous. Tango and Cash is a thrill-a-minute movie. It's not as highly regarded as another Warner Brothers franchise, Lethal Weapon, or Paramount's 48 Hours, but it's still a fun ride and should be in the conversation. Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell have really good on-screen chemistry. They volley insults at each other back and forth like a tennis ball at Wimbledon. Now, there were a lot of production problems, but it would have been nice to see a sequel, if not just to have the duo back on the big screen. Then the WB can work on a sequel to The Nice Guys. So, the humor is very juvenile, but for the most part inoffensive. The score is very prototypical of the 80s, lots of programming loops and synthesizers. It fits for the time period, but does date it just a bit. Overall, 
This is not a complicated story. A formulaic buddy cop film. Don't think too hard about some of the plot holes. It's much better to just enjoy it as a slightly elevated B-action movie. Now for a little trivial trivia. Patrick Swayze was originally cast as Lieutenant Gabriel Cash, but dropped out when he was offered the starring role in Roadhouse. Tango and Cash was produced by John Peters and Peter Goober, the duo behind Batman, Rain Man, Gorillas in the Mist, Flashdance, and Clue. Peters started out as a hairdresser for Barbara Streisand, became a producer on A Star is Born, and the rest is history. Goober is the co-owner of the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Dodgers. He once came to my offices and was wearing the huge championship ring, but a very nice guy. The cinematography was captured by Donald E. Thorin, whose filmography includes An Officer and a Gentleman, Purple Rain, Midnight Run, and Scent of a Woman. Thorin worked with Stallone on his previous film, Lock Up, and was brought in to replace original director of photography, Barry Sonnenfeld, who was fired. It was co-edited by Hubert de la Bollerie, who worked on The Witches of Eastwick, Blank Check, and Highlander 2, The Quickening, and Robert A. Ferretti, who edited Die Hard 2, Die Harder, Under Siege, and Highlander Endgame. The score was composed by Harold Faltermeyer, who worked on the music for Beverly Hills Cop, Fletch, Top Gun, and The Running Man. He was Academy Award-nominated for Best Music, Original Song, in 1988 for the Beverly Hills Cop 2 hit, Shakedown. The soundtrack featured songs by Bad English, Yazoo, Alice Cooper, and Babyface. The runtime is 1 hour 44 minutes. It had a budget of 54 million and grossed 120 million at the box office. On the ski index, I give it 4 out of 5 stars. If you've seen Tango and Cash and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post throwback clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Forgot That Playback. Game Boy was a handheld console created by Nintendo. It was released on July 31st, 1989 in North America and included the cartridges Super Mario Land and Tetris. It had simple controls a black directional pad, purple A and B buttons, and gray select and start options. There were also volume and contrast wheels. It was 8-bit and less advanced than competitors, Sega's Game Gear and Atari Lynx, but what Nintendo lacked in technology, it excelled in entertainment. It kinda reminds me of Wii, whose graphics weren't close to what PlayStation or Xbox was offering, but there was a fun factor in playing those games that I still enjoy to this day. The only questionable choice was the pea green screen. I'm not sure what engineer thought, let's make it the color that Regan spit up in The Exorcist. But monochrome graphics aside, Game Boy was a game changer. It was the first thing that I felt was truly mine. I had to share in television or Super Nintendo with my brothers. And since they were older, I wasn't getting first dibs to play after homework was done. It ran on four AA batteries, which lasted for 15 hours of gameplay, and you could always tell when it was running out of juice because the screen would become lighter and lighter. Nintendo later released a plug-in device that you can use instead to power it up. It also had a video link that you could hook up to your friend's Game Boy and play against them if they had the same game cartridge. I always liked the sports games and the occasional adventure games Metroid and Bomberman, 
but my favorite, of course, was wrestling. WWF King of the Ring, WWF Superstars, all amazing games. And also, you can never go wrong with Mario, right? Game Boy sold a massive 35 million units and over 100 million if you combine it with Game Boy Color. So I've selected a couple of commercials for Game Boy. The clips are all available in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a nostalgic movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about VIP. It tells a story of hot dog vendor Valerie Irons, who accidentally saves movie star Brad Cliff from assassination at a red carpet event, and gets recruited as the attractive face of a newly formed agency, renamed Valerie Irons Protection, VIP, when she's mistaken as a bodyguard for the stars. Now, did you get all that? It was created by J.F. Lawton, writer of Pretty Woman, Blank Man, Chain Reaction, Under Siege, and its sequel. He also directed one of my favorite movie titles, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. Yes, that's real. It stars Pamela Anderson in the lead role, Molly Culver as former spy Tasha Dexter, Natalie Reitano as weapons specialist Nikki Franco, Sean Baker as retired boxer Quick Williams, Dustin Gwynn as stuntman Johnny Lowe, and Leia Lale as computer expert Kay Simmons. It also features an array of guest stars, sometimes playing themselves, including Steve Austin, Jay Leno, Alfonso Ribeiro, Eric Estrada, Lonnie Anderson, and Mark Hamill. The pilot episode has an appearance from Brian Cranston and Dean Norris, who would eventually re-team for Breaking Bad. Yes, the plot is ludicrous. But this show does not take itself seriously in the slightest. And that's the biggest draw. Well, unless you like watching Pamela Anderson in fashionable dresses, that might be your biggest draw. But I came across the show very accidentally. There's a station called MeTV, which is based out of New Jersey. It stands for Memorable Entertainment. But it's most famous for having Sven Gulli, who hosts a cheesy horror movie every Saturday night. But there's now a spin-off channel called MeTV+. I'm not sure why they didn't go for the obvious for a second channel, Me Too. But it was before work, I decided to check out the channel MeTV+, and VIP was airing. I don't have too many memories of the show in its initial run. It aired in syndication, so it would come on at random times on random channels. So I had it on in the background, started watching... And all the actors' tongues are firmly planted in cheek. And I kinda started to like it. Don't get me wrong. It was bad. But it wasn't so bad. It was just as good as some of the B-action movies that I watch. So this went from just watching the channel to actually becoming part of my routine. VIP was on for four seasons, 88 episodes from 1998 to 2002. It's streaming on a couple of places, so check it out. Let me know what you think. Am I crazy, or is this okay popcorn fun? That's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. 
If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for all the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the rewatch and review. There were originally a family of anthropomorphic animals used for enter- Ah, I got anthropomorphic, but I screwed up advertisement. It was directed by Andrei Konchalovsky. Konchalovsky. Oh, that's easy enough. Maybe if I read it beforehand, I wouldn't have messed it up. It tells a story of hot dog vendor Valerie Irons, who accidentally saves movie star Brad Cliff from assassination at a red carpet event and gets recruited as the attractive face, breath, of a newly formed agency renamed Valerie Irons Protection when she's mistaken as a bodyguard for the stars. Can that sentence be any longer, Matthew? The only questionable choice was the pea green sea. No. <laughs>